Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. Living by the code, which is what we call it here, warrior, which is being real, get raw, stay relevant with a ruthless commitment to big-ass results, right? Results in what? Body, being, balance, and business. All of this just started coming together. As I would live one principle, another piece would come together. Every focus, weapon, or tool of the Warrior's Way got broken down into its own curriculum, its own book with its app and a course. So yeah, the Warrior Book was the beginning. We, we first put that book out in 2015. We don't care about your ideas. Your ideas suck. We don't care about your stories. We don't care about how you feel. We care about one thing. Do you have the results that you want? Yes or no? What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Garrett White of the Warrior's Way. If you are a man, you have likely heard of Garrett White. Garrett is a super polarizing figure. He does not give a fuck. He has the most seductive marketing for men, period. If you are a man married with children and you are having challenges in any area of your life, whether it's your body or your relationship or your well-being or your spirituality, he has a program called The Warrior's Way that has put this all together completely different than anybody I have ever seen do. So I'll say it again. He does not give a fuck. He is unapologetic for how he approaches his programs, for what he says to men. And I got to tell you, when you first listen to him, there's a part of you that's like, dude, you got you to gotta chill. And there's another part of you that goes, he's right. He's right. He's calling me on bullshit. So I have wanted to do this interview for a long time. And frankly, he doesn't do many of these. I don't even know if he does any of them. Um, but through a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend's, I got him to agree to do it. And I'm super proud of this episode because he is a... I got a very different feeling for who he is after this interview. Because, you know, you have this vision of what somebody is when you listen to them live on stage or see them live or hear about them or read their writing. But when you sit in a different environment 
and you just have a conversation, you realize the motivation behind the person. And I was pleasantly surprised to see a very calm, relaxed, intense, focused, but sort of chill in a way guy that I did not expect to see. So I love this interview. I think you will too. I'd love to know what you think about it. Just shoot me a message anywhere on the socials. Let me know your thoughts. But without further ado, as they say, please enjoy this conversation with Garrett White. Garrett, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Excited to be here. You got a cooler camera angle than mine. Camera well, listen, kind of that cool bended hero look. As they uh, as they say in the uh, the world of the warrior, it's two claps boom, right? Did I get that right? That's right. <laughs> well, two clap, two, two clap boom. That would that became our our non country club uh, clapping requirement. <laughs> we said, I don't want any of this. You guys are all uncoordinated. We can't do this. Like the like a sporting event, we're going to do this differently. Let's let's come up with something a little more aggressive. All right. I know your schedule is crazy tight and I really appreciate you doing this because you're a little like Woody Allen in that way that you, you don't do a lot of these things. You, no. You're not one that uh, does this. So uh, it's not lost on me that you agreed to do this. So thank you. You're welcome. I'm excited to do it. Yeah, I think this is probably about the uh, maybe third or fourth interview I've done in like two years, three years. Yeah, I don't I don't do a lot of them. But you know what? It's, I'm, I'm, I feel like you were you were somebody to do with. It felt right when you guys, when your team reached out and I was like, this feels like a good one. It was like a Let's good man. So here we are. All right. So I think a great jumping off point would be uh, to take you back to the nineties. You grew yeah. up, uh, you grew up as a Mormon and part of being a Mormon is to do mission work, yes. which you did in, uh, in Miami and you were yeah. working like 14 hours a day. In what ways do you think that time in your life or that particular experience shaped the kind of work that you're doing now? Uh, well, I, here's there was a couple of major things that occurred. One was my whole world, all I ever wanted was to play football. So like from the time I was like eight, nine years old, I saw Chicago Bears play the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, the refrigerator, Perry, that whole lineup. And I was at Walter Payton, you know, Jim McMahon, that I was, I was hooked. So my whole obsession, people are like, well, why didn't you have sex with girls in high school? I was like, I didn't have sex with girls in high school, not because of religion or because I thought I'd go to hell because my mom inserted the narrative. If you have sex with a girl, you're going to get her pregnant. If you get her pregnant, you won't be able to play football. So I was like, my whole world, it didn't really matter. Like God was not really something in my world when I was growing up, even though I was going to church religious with my parents and being pulled into that conversation. So football was my game. And there was a critical moment where in the first year of Boise State University, where I got in a scholarship for football, I was sitting there one night in uh, sharing with uh, the quarterback at the time at, at Boise State. And we'd gone out. Everybody was drinking. Um, I had been designated driver that night, so I wasn't drinking as much. Um, and he was passed out in his own vomit in our bedroom. And a bunch of my other buddies were passed out for, on the team. And everybody was just lit, which is typically what happens after games on a weekend. And... I just looked at that. And I was like, is this like, is this it? Like what happens in four years from now? Like what happens if I don't make it to the league? Like, is this what I'm left with? This is my life right now. So that sparked a whole bunch of different thoughts and conversations. And this girl who had uh, been on the track team, kept coming by my room every on Sunday morning. She would knock on her door. 
Hey, you want to go to church? I was like, nah, I'd go, I'd quit church. My mom figured out I'd gone to the gates of hell, dropped me off at a co-ed dorm at Boise State and was like, he's done. And I was like, good, I'm out. Not going on a mission. I'm not doing it enough for the, the Mormon tradition. I'm done. And things just turned. And there was a moment where I feel like God spoke into my world and said, listen, it's time for you to do this. And I was like, where's this coming from? I don't really understand the Book of Mormon. I don't really understand Mormonism that well. I don't really even know Jesus Christ. I just know that I've been wrapped up in this orthodoxy and this tradition my whole life. And now I'm feeling this thing inside to go on a mission. So I sat down with Pokey Allen who passed away a year and a half after I went on my Mormon mission. I was head coach at the time at Boise State. And they called a meeting with all the coaches and they set up a horseshoe because I was like the prodigy. I was being brought in to take over a guy named Tim Foley, who was a free safety at the time. And I was a transition year for Boise State from 1AA to 1A. There was a whole group of us that got injured our senior year. They got recruited to Boise State from California, Washington, Oregon on the West Coast to help the, help the school transition to 1A. And so there was a lot banking on me. And I'd also promised him when I came, I said, I won't go on a Mormon mission. I have no intentions. I don't want to go to Mormon mission. I don't even want to be Mormon anymore. So they were like, okay, no problem. So now here I am telling them, hey, I'm going to leave on a Mormon mission. And so they call this meeting and I sit down and there's this horseshoe event and they're like grilling me for three hours about going. Now, the problem, the challenge I have is anybody telling me I, I can't do something, of course, encourages me to want to do that thing more. That's the kind of kid I was. It's just people tell me I can't do things now. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. So that event led to a powerful decision, which was letting go of everything I thought I wanted to follow this voice inside of me that said it's time to go. And I thought I would feel amazing. And I, well, I didn't. I was in the parking lot at all fours vomiting. I'd just given up everything I had fought my entire life for, which is for a scholarship to play football. So being on a Mormon mission altered me. I didn't understand scripture. Um, I didn't know Spanish. I was being asked to learn how to speak Spanish. And I didn't understand scripture. I didn't really know where anything was. I couldn't tell you where Genesis was. I couldn't tell you anything about the New Testament, let alone anything that was going on in the Book of Mormon. I just didn't ever pay attention. I just didn't care. So there I am. I'm a, a Mormon missionary who doesn't really know what it is to be Mormon and doesn't really know Jesus Christ and doesn't really know Spanish. And I'm knocking on the doors feeling like I need to be there 14 hours a day. Over that two years, not only do I become fluent in Spanish, I begin the foundation of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the same time, learn to let myself go and serve other people. It was the first time I'd ever been in an environment where I saw deep levels of poverty. And I got to experience people at just a very primal level of just being inner city Miami, La Pequena Havana is like, it's not, um, it's, a, it's like some of the places you find in LA, San Orange County for sure. Right. And that changed me. It was the first time I became like really service driven. And it set the foundation for me as a man, because during the time my friends were partying, I was knocking on doors 14 hours a day learning Spanish and talking to grown adults about Jesus Christ and about life. Would you have your children, your son in particular, do it? Uh, if you wanted to, yeah. I mean, we don't practice Mormonism now. Um, I left Mormonism with my wife in 2009 and we chose a different path. I very much consider myself a Christian uh, and feel like my wife and my family have been really pulled back into the path of Christ here in just the past, like probably four or five months. But that was not the case for about a decade. My son was raised with his mother she didn't really practice anything either. Although she was raised in Mormonism, she didn't really practice. And there was a whole lot of things that gone down. Her relationships, continual relationships after we were, we got divorced. And my son just today, I mean, literally I just got a, a message from my son this morning talking about his acceptance of just Christ and his acceptance of God for himself. Uh, we go to a church called Ocean's Church here in Orange County, which is really powerful. And I really love him, Pastor Mark. But my son, I had no intentions for him. My son's mission was working for Wake Up Warrior. 
So we, he went to college and then left college. He's like, dad, I don't want to be here. He's playing football in Canada. He's like, I don't want to play football anymore. I want to go to school. I was like, well, what are you going to do? He's like, can I come live with you and work for a warrior? I was like, yeah. So we put him in the trenches. And for two years, he ran support teams for all um, 1,500 men that went through five-day workshops with us called Worry Week. And he got to see the dark side of being a grown-ass man and the carnal side and started being able to add massive value. So I think, I think he went on a mission. I uh, didn't go on a Mormon mission. He went on a warrior mission. Yeah. Interesting. You know, um, in, in preparation for the interview, I picked up your, uh, your tomb here. This is, uh, for those of you that are listening on audio, I'm holding up the, uh, the biggest book that I have seen since the old, the, the beginning of the old Testament's ever written. When I looked at this, it was one of these things where I went, Oh shit, <laughs> I got to read this thing. <laughs> Be like, this is giant. And it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to just, you know, blow smoke up your skirt here, but this is one of the best reads um, that I've ever read because it's done in such a way that it's almost impossible not to be fully engaged with the book. You write how you speak, and it's very much written to me biblical in a way, which is why I sort of started with your backgrounds. Was that by design? For sure. For sure. Yeah, we had, I know, I was actually inspired by it. I mean, I look at the reference. What one of the cool things about Mormonism is they're very detailed with the way that they structurally connect scripture. So there's just like the cross-referencing game. I had been I had been used to that as I got older because I did go very heavy into that after I came home from my mission. Um, I was very active in Mormonism for ten years and could play the checklist and really played it hard. And scripture was something I came to understand on my mission. And the cross-referencing piece to it was really helpful. And I always felt frustrated in books that I read where I didn't really, you couldn't reference where to go. Even if you said, go to page 43, then we had to say, well, go find the sentence of this. And then also I'd been reading and studying a book um, over the years called The Course in Miracles. And that book was also written with verses and chapters, very, very kind of broken down uh, under that fashion. So those two influences had me look at warrior book from a different place. I was like, what if we wrote this as a thing that people studied? And that's what it became. We had over 40,000 of these books that were, were shipped all over the world. And we had groups of guys getting it together, reading and studying the book together as they would have like a Bible study. We actually originally were going to call it the Black Bible because I was just super controversial with everything at the time uh, and decided that was probably not the best move. And then we called it the Black Book and then it became Warrior Book. And then that book actually became Warrior Box. So I wrote six more books that are that length and they come in a giant box. I don't know if I have one here in the studio. I don't. Um, and Warrior Box, we've had over 10,000 boxes shipped all over the world. And that takes everything in Warrior Book. And I wrote in 2019, every focus weapon or tool the Warrior's Way got broken down into its own curriculum, its own book with its app and a course. So yeah, but Warrior Book was the beginning. We, we first put that book out in 2015. Your ability to take concepts, which we'll get into uh, if time permits, things like the core four and the book and the warrior's tent and just all of those things, they they seamlessly work together in a way that it, it just seems to me like there was so much foresight that was put into this. Did you just add concepts into it or did you see the totality of what warrior is today and you just sort of, sort of built it? Nah, it was, I mean, the, here was the original dilemma. So I had lost everything 
financially in 2008. And I say lost like very, very loosely because I lost because I was a, I was a shitty businessman. And I was also a very disconnected man, disconnected from God. I didn't listen. God was trying to warn me from, for, for a year and a half. Hey, you got to pivot. You didn't do some pivoting. That same alarm went off for me in 2018 when we rebuilt and restructured all of what Warrior was and became studio-based, app-based, book-based. We had no idea COVID was coming, right? We were training an event company. COVID would have annihilated what Warrior was up to had we not made the pivot like two years before. So I, sure. I wasn't listening back then. So that happened. And then when I'm walking in, in this path of trying to figure out what I'm doing and how I'm going to put my life together, I cheat on my wife. I leave the religion I'm raised in. I have no money. My wife wants to leave me, but shouldn't have the courage to. Later, I would find out she was stockpiling money from her hair business, trying to get to a certain amount where she could literally just disappear in the daytime with kids and be gone. And I'm fucking clueless. I'm running ultra marathons and just running every day, literally running from my life, but also running with this, this voice. And I just started getting pieces. But one of the big awarenesses I got was the fact that there was a foundational issue to life, which was lying. Like I came to terms. I didn't know if anyone else was doing it. I just sat there and like, guys, like, listen, the biggest problem you have is you're just a fucking lie. Like you, you lie about everything. You lie out verbally. You don't tell people what's really going on. You allow people to assume things. So piece by piece, once I got that piece of stop lying, I then was stuck between these two worlds. I'd come from a business world banking and create a lot of success for seven, eight years. And then I entered this world of energy healing and meditation and the spiritual world over here. I left religions at all. I wanted nothing to do with anyone who was passionate about a religion at any different. And I really left Christianity too. And I just pursued something different. But I couldn't, couldn't put those two together. I would, I, I would be businessmen and made money, um, but they had no soul like I didn't. Like I had no soul to them. And like me, I could make the money, but I didn't have any soul. There was no purpose. There was no guiding God principle inside of who they were. And then I come over here and all these people speaking about God and power and spirituality, but they were completely disconnected from money. I was like, I didn't know who I could. I was like, I was trying to put everything together. So under that challenge and the foundational principle of living by the code, which is what we call it here, warrior, which is being real, get raw, stay relevant with a ruthless commitment to big ass results right? Results in what? Body, being, balance, and business. All of this just started coming together. As I would live one principle, another piece would come together. The first one was stop lying. When I started doing that, I started seeing pieces. But the entire, if you step back, people ask me that now with all six apps, all six books, all the courses. I mean, we have like 137 hours of coursework. We have thousands of students joining every single month in Wake Up Warrior now. And that process, did you just know it was? I was like, no. I didn't know what the hell I was doing at all. I had like one piece in a journal and then I would live that. And then it was like, I was like, Hey, you live that. Now here's the next piece. Why don't you live that? And I'm like, okay. And then we would do that. And like all these tools just opened up over 10 years as we started running this with myself and, and ultimately what became over, over 55,000 then. When you mentioned that you weren't listening, particularly as it related to COVID and it would have annihilated your business, did you mean you weren't listening to the spiritual side that was trying to give yeah. you a message of something coming? Yeah. 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 I've, I fundamentally know that all men and women, but I speak to men, 
men are, we're all connected to God. Like there's a connection to source that we all have, no matter if you were Muslim, Jew or Christian or none, none of the above agnostic. I don't care. There's a connection we all have. You call it your gut, call it your hunch, call it source, don't care, call it donkey. doesn't matter to me, but there's this connection, right? But I, I wouldn't listen to this connection back in 2006 and seven. In 2018, I did. Like I was running with my wife and I in the hair industry. I run four different companies. Wake Up Warriors, one of them. And we had, I mean, my payroll was like 1.2 million a month. Like our, our experience was like, we were so heavy. I was in life insurance, we're in all kinds of stuff in 18. And there, I would wake up every morning with this same anxiety feeling that I had before. Only difference was in 2018, I was aware this time. And I have a tool called the stack, which is I spend 90 minutes every morning working through my thoughts. And we have thousands of our students who do the same thing every morning, spend an hour to two hours essentially writing your own scripture, which is using a, a chat that app that we have where you're having conversation, answering specific questions about your feelings and thoughts for the day, and then getting specific actions. And God, piece by piece, was just showing me, this voice was showing me inside, hey, you have got to move the ship. And I was getting instruction and I was listening. And that's the difference is that now I listen. I don't listen all the time, but I listen a vast majority of the time. Whereas in the past, I didn't listen ever. I couldn't even hear to listen. It's like having your ears plugged. It's like right now my ears, like I got ear stuff going on. And so I have to wear earplugs when I surf every morning. So my friend, one of the best friends I surf with, he'll yell something. I can't hear him. He'll yell, like try to call me off a wave or something. And I can't hear him. He'll be right behind me. I'm like, bro, I didn't really call. He's like, well, I was yelling. I was like, I can't hear you because I earplugs in. I take the earplugs out on the beach and I can hear everything. So, oh, I can hear the ocean and the birds. And now I'm not just hearing my own heartbeat. And that was the same with the voice, like the voice of God. Like forever I called it the voice because I didn't really know what it was. Like I, I just knew that I got met in my darkest times with this, this voice that was speaking to me. And I would call it the voice. Like if anyone who worried for the last decade has known that Garrett references this thing called the voice. And I was like, well, I don't know what else it was. Was it, is it God? I don't know. Is it? Heavenly Father, is it Jesus Christ? Is it Muhammad? Is it, who is this? Is it Krishna? Who is it? I don't know. I, I just noticed this voice. Is the voice getting louder as you're getting better at listening? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Who is um, Steve uh, Denunzio? So Steve was the first spiritual coach I had ever hired. Um, he's out of New Jersey and he's deeply connected in the financial services world. And in 2006, I saw him talk about this idea called sole purpose. I, hire, I did a mortgage for him and our company in 2006. And everything went wrong with this loan. Everything. Like everything. And he was a direct referral from one of my strategic partners, a guy named Garrett Gunderson, who wrote Killing Sacred Cows, who I ultimately ended up becoming the CEO of his company in 2008. But Steve, and Steve got referred to me. So I was like personally taking care of him, even though I had a large team. I was like, I'm going to take care of this guy because he came from one of my guys. And so I'm going to make sure this thing kept. But everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. Anything go wrong with the loan went wrong. And every time I would call this guy to update Steve about what happened, he never freaked out. He was just like, it's okay. It's okay, brother. Universe is always working for our good. It's okay. What can we do now to, to keep moving forward? It's no problem. No, you don't need to stress. And I'm like, how is this guy so calm? I don't understand how this guy is so calm. I, if this was me, I'm super, I'd be fucking pissed. How is he so calm? It was foreign to me and he wasn't religious. And yet I felt this presence with him when I would talk to him. I'm like, he's not Mormon. He's not religious. He's not, he's not, he's, I don't know what he is, but this guy's fascinating. So I did his loan and then I went to an event. He did it where he talked about soul purpose and then I hired him as a coach. So I think I invested like $15,000 in him in 2006. 
where are the early 2007, which was exactly what I needed because I would lose all of my businesses by the end of 2007, the beginning of 2008. And he was the only coach I'd already prepaid for my session. He was the coach that I, I would get on the phone with every couple of days when my world was burning to the ground. And what was the biggest takeaway that you got from him? Was it learning to meditate? Was it getting out of the spiritual, getting out of the more religious world into the more secular environment? Or what was the big takeaway? Uh, he, was, he was guiding me to a place of surrender. Uh, right. Like, which I, I didn't really understand that word, right? That's why my marriage wasn't working. Um, it's why my business is, it's why I wasn't working as a human being. I was like such a, a poser in my own insecurities. Like I've come to find 99% of guys are. I'm like, what? I, I, would, I would front that I had this life figured out and everything figured out. And if you threaten that, you know, I would punch against it. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know this idea of surrender. So I had lost the businesses. And then I had gone and asked for a job from one of my friends who had originally got me a mortgage, which was horribly humiliating at the time. Like I was like the guy I was speaking on major stages, traveling, get motivated seminars. I was traveling, speaking all over the place. And here I am with nothing yet still have all the things. And it looks like I have something, but I don't. And I asked my friend for a job. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay. And about four days into this doing VA home loans, which I could, I just couldn't do it. I, I just could not do it. I'd gone so far past that in my career. I was like, I can't fucking believe I'm sitting here taking these phone calls. And one afternoon was just too much. And I went outside and sit in my car. I call Steve up for a session and we're talking and I'm just, I'm just, I'm at the end of my rope. I just cannot do this anymore. And he's sitting there. He's really good at just holding space and he kept asking me questions of what's, what's coming up for you. And he said, I want you to look your eye, look at yourself in your rearview mirror in your, in your car. And he said, what's coming up for you? And tears just started pouring down my cheeks. And, and I said, only one word, surrender. And he said, great. Then why don't you do that? And that started a whole journey of discovery that, I had never known was possible. God, that's beautiful. You know, we live in uh, such a bullshit world that is filled with over-filtered Instagram lies and people live in quiet lives of desperation, like you've just said. One of your core tenets, as we've talked about, is to teach people uh, to tell the truth. Why is this so hard for men to do? We have been trained to lie. Right. Children have been trained to lie. You know, a child says something that's embarrassing to the parent and parents like Shh. kids demonstrate any emotion that's outside the box of appropriate. And we put them in the room. Like we have, we, from the time we were young, society has taught men and men and women to not tell people what's really going on. When I ask you how you're doing today, I don't really want to know. So it's like, if you actually tell me that I'm pissed you fucking told me on what's what, I didn't really want to know. I was just asking, how are you doing? So I could feel less awkward and walk past you. So we also are in a place in which most human beings are not okay with the reality of what it is to be human. So churches aren't, this is why we put our hands up in worship and we praise the light and we spend no time in the night. And the men's groups are watered down, weak conversation. The answer is always some question of the light, yet nobody wants to address the night. You go to masterminds in business, same situation. So guys have been, and then if you do have emotions or if you talk about feelings, you're a pussy. My guy's a fucking pussy, right? And now I'm now because I'm expressing emotion, now I'm weak. If I'm expressing fear, I'm weak. If I express like vulnerability, I'm weak. If I express doubt or worry, I'm weak. So I have a front not only to be something I'm not all the time, even women, women have been trained to look at men as emotionally weak. 
If men are weak or emotional, they're weak. They say they want it, but they don't. The response is, I'm not attracted to that guy. You're not. So what have men been told? The aggressive alpha moneymaker is the guy who gets the girl with the nice tits and gets the nice this and gets that. So we became trained as men from the time we were born that aggressive alpha money-making behaviors were where it is. And if you were anything else besides that, we don't really want to hear about it. Like in church, if you talk about your real dark shit, people don't really want to hear about it. They're like, bro, I'm here to have a positive experience. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm fucking melting and you keep giving me scripture quotes and I'm going to punch you in the face. Like that's not helping me. Stop reading to me from the book of Mark. I don't give a shit. Help me. Help me. And so darkness is not acceptable. So what do we do? We present in our marriages. We get married to people under half-truths. And then we're like, oh, this person changed. We're like, no, this person changed. This person was always like that. They just hid the part of themselves that they didn't want you to see. So we've been trained to hide. We've been trained to lie. And because of all the hiding and the lying, it's unbearable. It's like trying to take a grapefruit, shove up your ass, and pretend like it's not there while running a 100-meter dash. You're like, dude, I got a grapefruit mass. This is really difficult to run. So you're like waddling down people. What's wrong with you? And you're like, well, nothing, 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 nothing. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Now comes the sedation, right? And pick your poison. You're either sedating with alcohol, marijuana, popping pills. You're like, oh, I'm too good. I'm righteous. I don't use that. Okay, good. So you just overeat, go to church 15 times a week, go to the gym too much, work all the time. Guys just find their coping mechanism. And so we have this bubble where if you actually talk about what's going on, no one really wants to listen because it exposes everybody else. So if I'm honest as a man and I tell you what's really going on with me, then you now are in a proposition situation because if you're hiding shit, which is highly likely you are, now I've just created a dilemma for you because I'm being honest, but now you've got to face one of two things. One, pretend like you don't have any shit going on. And just hold yourself over here as an observer to me talking about mine. Or, which is more often than not what happens, my vulnerability triggers a deep level of hypocrisy in you. And the only thing that happens when somebody feels that kind of trigger is they'll either persecute, persecute, or they praise. Either way, they push people away. I'm going to praise you, I'm going to put all the attention on you, or I'm going to persecute you. And so, it's not healthy. There's no place, there was nowhere for guys to go. There's nowhere for me to go. I didn't have anywhere to go. It wasn't safe to talk about it at church. It wasn't safe to call my parents. There was nobody. There were no guys. Guys didn't really want to hear. You would unload it and guys would be like, uh, dude, that really sucks, man. Or, hey, let me pray with you. And you're like, I appreciate this, dude. But like, I didn't really need you to pray for me right now. Like, I'm just, I'm trying. Why do I feel so alone? Why do I, am I the most fucked up guy on the planet? How is this possible that I'm having all these feelings when everyone around me is not having these feelings? And that's where the greatest trap becomes because we become a society of men who legitimately in our minds and to our wives, our wives think we're the only psychopath. My wife thought I was the only guy that thought about sex every day about 732 times. It got triggered by an ass that walks by and goes, oh shit, you're just a pervert. You think about sex all the time. I was like, babe, it's called being a man. I have a penis and testicle and God gave me a chip that makes me naturally be aroused by the opposite sex. This is natural. I can't turn this off. It's not like I want to feel this right every time. I'll be doing shit. Somebody walks by. I don't want to see, you know, the tight shirt with the nipples popping through the white top at church service. When that happens, guess what? 
my penis wakes up. I don't have a choice. Now, I'm not pursuing her. I'm not chasing her. But you don't get it. She's like, no, it's bullshit. Then she realized that that was how all guys were. She's like, wait a second. Yeah, all guys? Are, yeah, guys are in the 70s. Yeah, pastors. Yeah, yeah bishops, uh, presidents, politicians, um, businessmen, the guy that works at Circle K. I was like, those guys that are looking at you and waving, they're not thinking, oh, she's got such a sweet spirit. I was like, babe, those men are looking at your ass. And most of them have looked at so much porn that they've actually had a sexual trigger about 75 times in 12 seconds. And they thought about having sex with you right now. I Listen, like, it, never, it never it never stopped for Hugh Hefner, right? I mean, right yeah. up until right right up until his death. I mean, this guy was still going. Um, <laughs> you know, when somebody looks at your life now, certainly with you and your wife. Speaking of your wife, they would they would see a sexy, shredded couple that looks like uh, they came off a Milan runway uh, with a crazy passionate relationship and people throwing money at you, uh, to coach them. You know, you're, you're living in, uh, I don't know, Versailles, your, <laughs> your home on the water. Um, but this wasn't always the case. You know, I did, uh, some research, uh, for this interview and I came across an old YouTube clip where you were talking about, um, network marketing. You were talking about doTERRA and I swore that that could not have been you. There's no way that this is like, I was going back and forth and back and forth. I'm like, no, I think it is. So I guess the question in that little soliloquy there is, I don't even recognize you from 10 or 12 years ago. What, how did you get to this place where you've completely transformed the way you sound, the way you look, your economics, your relationship. Is it all just this technology that you've put together? There is uh, the tools help, right? So the first thing to look at is that I had, I had spent so many years trying to change things, right? I would tell my wife, I'm going to change, right? After I cheated, I said, I'm going to change, Right. When we lost the money, I'm going to change. This was a word I can't change, but nothing changed. The French had it nailed. The more things change, the more things stay the same. And if you imagine having a triangle, it's like I was a triangle pointed up and then I would be a triangle pointed down and then I'd be a triangle pointed right and then I'd be a triangle pointed left. And every time that triangle shifted, it had the feeling for a moment that things had changed. My wife and I would have sex. And then I'll be like, okay, I guess we're good. And then we would go into the desert again for two months. And then we would fight about it. And then I would get angry and yell and break shit. And then I would say, I'm going to change. And then I would turn to travel, but nothing ever changed. Like I was running into the same problems, the same situations, the same obstacles over and over and over. I call it the karmic cul-de-sac, which is this looping game of constantly repeating the same shit. So when I was sitting there, I was like, how can I actually break this? And the, the only idea that came to me was death and rebirth. And I'll share a story with you to give you an example. So about 2000 and roughly 11, 10, 11, I had a dream. And that dream, I was dead. I was going to be dead in less than five years. It was right in 2013. You can see this actually on Facebook. I have a picture of me holding a, a glass of scotch and a cigar. And I'm convinced that I'm done. But I know as dumb as it sounds from a human being listening to me say that my reality had become, I got five years to live. 
I, my purpose in life has been fulfilled. I'm done. I'll be dead by 2014, the first of 14. So, and this was de- definitely enforced because I'd had this dream. And then I was sitting at dinner with my wife and my wife said, I had a dream last night. This was a couple of days later. And my wife's dreams are like visions. She doesn't dream. She has visions. Me, I have crazy weird dreams at times. Me, whatever. So she's sharing with me. She said, I'm sitting at dinner. Our daughters are both bigger, older, and they're running out in front of a restaurant that we're sitting at. I'm pregnant, only I'm sitting across from a man that is not you. Mm. Now, my wife shares this with me two days now. Now, rewind. I, it took me 18 months to get the full truth of my affair out. So this is all coming off the wake. I was not in a healthy place mentally. Like I was very fucking weak in my own head. So everything got planted in. I'm like, this is it. I am going to die. My wife is going to get pregnant with some other guy. My daughters are going to become some other man's children. Okay. And so I kind of just swung the fences from that point. I was like, this is how it's going to be. I guess, I guess I'm going to be dead. Like this is the process of life. So then of course I don't die. Which again sounds stupid. Clock hits midnight, but what time zone are you in? There's a whole lot of logic with this. Is like I wasn't plugged into, but emotionally I was like, "That's it." Now that event of death and rebirth became my mantra in life. This idea Jesus talks about this in Bible. There's this 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 demand that when a man chooses to be born again, that there's a previous death to this rebirth in life. That to be reborn requires one to die. In Buddhism and Hinduism, it's the same thing. There's a, an entire ideology around this idea that lives and eternal lives and this ability to rebirth oneself to become a caterpillar and transform into a butterfly. And I, and I was like, for whatever reason, it's stuck after this episode. So I rented this place down in Laguna Beach where we had our first Warrior HQ when we moved to California. And this guy named Mian Situ, like an amazing Chinaman, just like such a great guy. His wife had passed away, had an art studio in Laguna, and he was leasing this place. So I got this place. I felt prompted. I was walking by it. I saw the sign. I was at the Surf and Sand Hotel. I was like, I'm going to get this place. So I get it. And then we run events for two years. And I don't see Mian Situ outside. We send him lease of rent payments every, every month. And I see him two years later when we're, we're not going to keep the lease. We got a new place. And he shows up in Mian. You imagine, he's like, Mr. Miyagi. It's like, imagine Mr. Miyagi. That is Mian Situ. Mr. Miyagi, a.k.a. Mian Satu, walks up to me the first thing. Now, he saw me two years previous in 2013, and now he's seeing me in 2015. He walks up to me, and he looks at me, and he's got his eyes looking at me, and puts his hand on my chest, and he pats it like three times, and he says, you became your message. Mm. And my teams are standing there, my right-hand guy, Sam Filosofi and Jeremy Finlay at the time, both guys who have gone on to launch amazingly successful businesses themselves. And I'm like, holy shit. So Warrior was forged off the wake of my own death and rebirth. If I look at who I was in that doTERRA video, I have zero. If that guy walked up to me on the street, I have zero connection with that guy. That guy is dead to me. The guy that cheated on his wife, He's fucking dead to me. He's buried. Not like a figurative idea of, oh, you know, he's dead to me. No, legitimately, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, everything and anything that guy was is dead to me. I'll fuck that guy up. He shows up in my life today. I wouldn't even hire that guy. 
Now, keep going. This became the process. And we created a system for, for what I call creating impossible games. So off of this birth and redeath or death and rebirth process became what I started teaching. I was like, the only path to creating bigger and better things in your life is to die. So we don't want to die and we fight it. So we hold on to the identity, the story and everything that came with the Duterra guy. But when you finally got enough leverage where your wife is telling you a story that I'm sitting at a restaurant across the table with somebody else, the leverage was there for you to make the change and your willingness to say, okay, I'm going to let it go. Do you also die little mini deaths throughout uh, times now? In other words, where it's not quite as dramatic as what we're talking about, but it's like, I, I got to let this go in some way and I got to die. Can you give me an example of something like that? So my wife's a bikini competitor, right? She's mm-hmm. never done this before. She wanted to do it for 15 years. Now she's like pretty aggressive at it. She's got a show coming up in three weeks or so training her like she's in cut mode, which is like, Insane. We went to Mexico last week. I had the most amazing weekend with my wife I've probably ever had in the 20 years we've been together. And she comes back, she says, Hey, I'm in focus mode. You know, I'm going to be a bit hangry and kind of crazy for the next three weeks. So I was like, I know, I got you. When you know, do what you need to do. In five days, this woman who already only weighs 110 pounds has already shredded five pounds off her body. It's like how she did this is crazy. But you watch what happened. It, I'm sitting looking at her today and I'm like, it happened every day, just a little bit. Every day, just a little bit. Now go back to my wife being pregnant. People look at my wife like, how, how did you do this? You have almost, you know, a two-year-old. How are you a bikini competitor? How do you pulled this off? And I was like, well, you don't see what my wife does. Every day, diet, fitness, weightlifting, training with her coach. Every day. You didn't see her shoulders in the first six months, but now her shoulders are fucking popping. It took almost two years for her to get the muscle on her glutes and her hamstrings and her quads. So we'll let her be a legitimate competitor now because they have to have the separation between the glutes. And it's a, it's a science. It's insane to me. I used to think it was all sexual. It's not sexual at all. It's actually like this weird physical science to deal with their bodies. That did not happen. So we watch people come in and they're like, oh, I want that. I want, I want to have a body like Danielle. I'm like, okay, well, you, you can but you looking at where you are, that's going to take about two or three years and you're going to have to train every day. And we don't see it because most people don't see that recognizable change every day. They quit. So everybody's looking for home runs. Give me the pill. Give me the fast filter. Give me the change. Garrett, let me go walk on fire with Tony Robbins, break an arrow on my neck, and then I'll be healed. Right. Let me go find the pastor who will say the one thing. Let me beg for manna from heaven and let God send down his fire and change my life today. That's not how it works. Right. So line upon line, precept upon precept, we grow every day. So I die every day. I enter into my sacred temple in the morning of conversation, community, walk and talk with God through a system and a tool known as the stack. And my stories die. My narratives die. This is what we're dying to. We're dying to the narrative about who we are. What is the story that you tell yourself about you? People say, well, what changed in your marriage? I was like, my story about myself and my story about my wife changed in marriage. That's what changed. And my stories would drive my behaviors. So if I want to change my results, I can't look at my behaviors. I have to look at my stories. What are the stories? Not thoughts, stories. Stories become scripture. They're the parables that we tell ourselves about who we are. And so when I figured that out, it became simple. Like I recreated Warrior in two and a half years. Warrior was a high-end coaching, high-end training event company. And a boys came to me and said, no, pivot. You're going to be a software and education company and you're going to impact hundreds of thousands up to millions of people. 
Well, why? I got 600 clients that invest 50 to 100 grand a year. Why would I do that? Because I told you to. Okay. And I want you to cancel that big event that you have coming up with 1,500 guys. Okay. So I call my team. I'm like, we're canceling. What? Yeah. Stack. I did a stack this morning. You can read the stack. We're canceling. It's going to cost the $600,000. Like, I don't care. Refund everybody. Pay the hotel. Why? Because I, because this is how I got here. People are like, how did you make the movie you make? We bought a $20 million home. People are like, how did you do that? How'd you have the courage to do that? You had that house plus a $10 million house on the same street. How'd you know how to do that? I was like, well, that came back to the very, very beginning when God started testing me. Hey, can you listen and be a steward of small things? If I ask you to talk to this person, will you talk to them? If I ask you to say this, will you say it? Will you let go of that? Will you stop telling that story? Will you pivot and go left? Will you walk away from your job? Will you stop the business you're in? Will you go? Will you walk away from your marriage? Sometimes that's what it is. Do you have the courage? Everybody wants to preach big faith, but it doesn't mean shit. Action and results and fruit are all that matter to me. So I just measured them. I just measured them. And we started creating this impossible game called fact mapping where we would look out into the future based upon an establishment of the most raw truth about where I am right now, I would create an impossible game. My sex and experience with my wife in our vacation in Mexico last weekend was everything that I had ever hoped for, fantasized of my entire life. The connection emotionally, spiritually, sexually, the fun, the play, the, the flirting, the intensity, and it went for like a week straight and my wife and I left this and she was like, I feel like we're forged at the soul. I said, I know. I saw this shit. I saw my house in 2018. I was speaking about the home that I live in right now. I bought this. I bought at the time I didn't have the resource to buy it. $24 million house. If I kept rewind back, rewind back eight and a half years ago, my wife and I are standing on the ridge in an empty development, looking down on those lots. And we asked a simple question, who would we have to become to purchase a home here? And then we went to fucking work doing what? Destroying the stories and doing the simple required actions today. Because when you add them up, you can do big shit. It's not impressive in a quarter. It's not impressive in a year. But you look back over two to three and you're like, what in the hell? You look back to 2009 to the doTERRA essential oils video to that. And you're like, who in the hell is that guy? There's no possible way that the guy I'm talking to in 2021 is the guy that I'm watching on video in 2008, 2009. Like these, my brain has no idea what to do with this. It's crazy. You're, one of your technologies, uh, you call it the, uh, the core four, body, being, balance, and uh, business. Mm -hmm. And the question I have for you around that is when I think about all of the things that you must have coming at you in your life with business and running four companies. How now, I'm gonna try and ask this question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bumble the question, so bear with me as I try and find the words here. But how do you find the passion and the intensity that it seems like you have for your wife at this stage? Mm -hmm while running all of those companies. For example, if I think about running multiple, th I have a lot of things going on in my life as we all do. And it's sort of like to bring that passion in for my wife throughout my day while I am doing all of the things that I'm doing. It's really hard for me to blend it seamlessly. 
into yeah. my day. And you seem like you do that. How do you have the, throughout the day, how do you do it with your wife? How do you do it with your small children? How do you do it with your spirituality? I know that you have the core four and you want to hit the four before you hit the door. Um, but how do you actually do it when you got all this shit coming at you? So if you can't be present and most people are, I remember Zig Ziglar, like back in the day, he, he was talking to us. Uh, I was listening to sales training he did. And he said, the problem with you, and he was doing his voice, the problem with you salespeople, and he was doing his cool voice. He said, when you're, when you're at the office, you're thinking about being at home. And when you're at home, you're thinking about being in the office. And you're never anywhere. You're never at home, and you're never at the office. The first thing we got to do is get you to be where you are. And I remember listening to this like back in the old days when the disc was playing. I'm like, oh, shit, that's true. Of course, I didn't know how to live it. I mean, that's a great concept. And that was the problem with all those trainers is the fact they gave out great ideas, but there was no tangible, practical execution to it. So legitimately, the way I balance all four is through the gamification of life. Everything has a metric. My spirituality has a metric. My marriage has a metric. My kids have a metric. Everything. When I started to reverse engineer my problems in my life, it's after I figured out the line. I recognized that I had become very centrally focused, but I didn't have an awareness. So when I'm in the morning from 4.30 until roughly 8.30 in the morning is my time. For four to five hours, I ground and connect across those four domains. I surf, I take my supplements, I do my breakfast, I study my scriptures, I do my stack game, I, I, I everything. I send gratitude stacks out, which is long discourses to people that matter to me. I connect with my daughters in the morning before they go to school. I see, kiss and see my wife. But the minute I leave my home and I put all that contribution in, I'm here with you. I'm not thinking about my kids. I'm not worried about my wife right now. I'm not trying to get off this call. I'm not worried about the graduation. I'm going to be on with about five, 600 students here in about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I'm not worried about that. I'm here when I'm on graduation, which I'll be doing right after this interview. I'm in the graduation. When I'm on date night tonight with my mom or my, with my wife, I'm on, I'm on, I'm in date night with my wife, right? When I'm with my daughter at the park and I'm playing with her at the playground, I'm not on my fucking phone. I'm at the park playing with my children. So what I recognize is the more present I could be, that the people in my life that matter did not need more quantity of time from me. I was still going to spend 80% of my life running my business. Business owners, like I get guys who do this in rooms and they'll raise their hands. I'm like, let's be fucking honest with ourselves for a second. How much time during your week as a business owner, entrepreneur, do you spend obsessed, thinking, stressed, or worried about your business or some aspect of it? How many of you right now know it's over 80%? Hold damn room or raise your hand. I said, how many of you know it's over 90%? Hold I said, how many of you can be honest about the fact that you think about your business more than you think about God, more than you think about your wife, and more than you think about your children? Hold room hands go up. I was like, I know. So why do we fucking lie to ourselves? We're built to build shit. We're kings of creation. That's what we do. We don't need to be ashamed of it. We're not guys that are going to plug in and plug out and get a job. That's not what we do. We've been called to build. But if I can bring presence to it, then I can come in and out. But most guys can't. They're like Zig Ziglar style. They bleed into everything. So they're on date night, but they're trying to work. They're at work, but they're trying to, they're feeling guilty about their kids. They're with their kids, but they're feeling guilty because they're not working. Right? So there's ne they're never anywhere. So I just got to replace through the power of meditation, using the core four and using the stack, which were our three power tools. Like those, I got to a place where I could be here 
And because I could be here, I can get more done in an hour than I used to get done in six hours. I can have one 30 minute connection with my baby in the morning, sitting on the outside on the deck, drawing with chalk this morning while eating oatmeal and my eggs for breakfast and be totally present with her. Not worried about my business day, not worried about date night, not worried about Mother's Day this weekend, not worried about it. I'm right here with her. I'm here. She knows and I know, this two-year-old knows, dad is here. And being here, now I can leave. Now, I won't think about my baby the rest of the day. I, will, I won't even spend time with her tonight. I spent 30 minutes of quality time. But now I know on Saturdays, I crush for nine straight hours with my kids. Like I, I don't stop. They get up. I go. I don't work all day. I work early in the morning. I surf. I come back. I own the game with my children. Sundays is worship with me and my family. I own worship. I'm not going to church like 15 times a week. But when I go, guess where I'm at? I'm in service. I'm in worship. I'm experiencing it. And if I'm in my time in the morning, I'm not doing emails and texting people. It's me and God having conversations that. But this is, this, this is almost impossible. For most men to do. So they run around like crazy guys trying to spin these plates. I shit, my marriage is not working. I'm going to spend all my time on my wife. I'm going to stop working and just focus on my marriage. And then the marriage works and I'm business house rules. So they, well, babe, now I got to go over here. And so they go fix the business. And then the, then the business is working out. Marriage falling apart again. And then they realize, ah, oh, shit, now I got diabetes because I'm a fat fuck and I didn't do any fitness at all to take care of my body. Now I got to go over here and do what Now I got to be obsessed right here because the doctor said I'm pre-diabetic. So now I got to work out and that's all I'm going to do. Now I forgot my wife and my business. Shit. Oh, and in between this, man, I feel hollow. Where's God at? So the core four game became a simple, simple way to say, hey, if you just take these simple actions and you gamify it and you get a four today, part of your kingdom is going to be burning every day. There's going to be things that you should be doing in your business, things you should be doing in your marriage, things that one of your kids is going to be awry. There's going to be some things you probably could improve in in business or in your body. There's maybe you could, maybe you could be a guy that's super powerful. I tell people like, I'm not the best, best athlete. I'm not the most spiritual guy. I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best father. I'm not the best businessman, but I will fucking crush you in living life. And I am like compound interest. And so people see the moves we make and they're like, how did you do that? I was like, motherfucker, you didn't see what I did for 10 straight years, every single day. What you see now is that the turning of a flywheel. So when I make a move and I go, bah, you don't see the wake behind me of moves and certainty and relationships and consistency. So when I say I'm going to go here, I trust myself. You, on the other hand, can't even get up in the morning on time every day at the same time. And then you tell me, oh, I don't know what's wrong. You're undisciplined. You don't do the simple shit. You want to make it complicated. Stop making it hard. People will tell them this, warrior's too easy. This isn't new, Garrett. I was like, I didn't say it was new. I was like, I re-DJed all the shit that we've all been taught into a gamified practical system with apps and weapons and conversation that make all of the stuff we've all heard about for decades a reality with results. Because in Warrior, we don't care about your ideas. Your ideas suck. We don't care about your stories. We don't care about how you feel. We care about one thing. Do you have the results that you want? Yes or no? Beautiful. I mean, you nailed it. You don't seem to give two fucks if somebody likes you or not. How much of your intensity is to wake people up versus your natural state? Um, I'm super intense, naturally. Right? <laughs> give you an example. This morning, 6.30 in the morning, 
I get, I'm like, I'm a headphones and I'm listening to worship music. I'm stacking. My friends are down ready to go surfing. They're in the backyard in the hotel, in the, in the hot tub. And the doorbell is being rung in the house. I didn't know this house is very big. So like, you know, it's like 14,000 square feet. You can't really. So the doorbell rings in all the rooms. And my wife calls me on the iPad. She calls me and it's on my iCloud. So it pulls up on my iPad. I'm like, yeah, babe, what's up? What are you doing? And she's like, oh my God, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, there's a naked guy at our front door wrapped in plastic around his waist. I was like, what? Hold on. So I push stop, pull my earplugs out. I run downstairs. I look at my wife. She's panicked. I'm like, move out of the way. I got this. There's a courtyard in our thing. And I go out to the front door. His big, huge gated front door, field door. So I go, I walk around and sure enough, as sure as day, there's a naked guy out on the front porch with plastic wrapped around his waist, 6.30 in the morning. And he's reaching for the doorknob to my mother-in-law's room. She's in a, she, he's reaching for this doorknob. Now, I don't have a, hey, Garrett, I need to turn on intensity. Garrett, how do you need to be intense? I'm not a guy that goes opposite direction. So trying to teach guys how to run into the fire, that takes a bit of time. Because most guys want to fucking run away. I don't have a problem. My natural tendency, if there is chaos or problems, I will find myself somehow in the middle of it. This did not serve me for a long time in my life. Now I know how to control it. So, of course, I see this. There's no hesitation. I open my front door. I grab this guy and I throw him down seven foot and seven stairs down to the front part of my porch. And I come down. I'm like, motherfucker. The fuck are you doing? Now, he's on his face and he turns around. And he looks at me and his eyes like are kind, though. And I'm like, immediately my mind reframes the narrative goes from violent intruder to somebody hurting and in need. I come walking down the stairs. I help him back up. I'm like, bro, what's going on? I walk him out to the street. Cause I'm like, I'm not about trying to have you up on my front porch. Let's walk out to the street. My friends know something's come on to come run around the backside. They're all aggressive, big guys. And they're like wanting to beat the shit out of somebody. They didn't know what was going on. I said, hey, I got this. Another guy's security comes rolling down. Orange County Sheriff's Department showing up. Orange County doesn't fuck around, particularly in the neighbors we live in. If their shit goes down, helicopters show up, people get crazy fast. I'm sitting there looking at this guy. And I'm like, here's this man, totally naked. I don't know his story. I don't know what's going on. He's got scratch all over his arms and hands. He's got scratch all over his legs and his feet. And he's naked, literally with clear plastic around his legs. You see his penis right there. I'm like, and there was not even a hesitation. I just flipped off my Ugg shoes, pulled off my sweatpants. Gave him my sweatpants. I said, put these on. I said, here's some shoes. I said, took off shirt, took off my flannel, gave him my Nexus chiropractic t-shirt, put the flannel, took it off. I said, keep this flannel. I said, you hungry? He said, yeah. I said, okay, hold on. So we're in a house, grabbed some bananas, some bars, some waters, brought them back. I said, here you go. I was like, listen, man, I don't know what your story is. Um, and I'm not going to apologize for throwing you off my front step. I was like, you're a naked man trying to enter my mother-in-law's room. I was like, I have no problem coming at you with violence. And I will fuck people up to fuck with my family. I said, but I will tell you right now, you're a kind man. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what's going on with you. I'm not your enemy. Give me a hug. So I hug him up. And I said, get on with security. Security will take you up. I'll tell the police what happened. I'm not pressing charges. You're fine. Just take care of yourself today. There you go. So we send him on his way. So people look at me and they're like, well, they see, my friends will tell me they see Sergeant Slaughter intensity online. In the marketing world, I have to be that way. Why? Because guys are so fucking sedated. If I don't come as a violent spear of fury into their world, they will not pay attention. The fact that I do polarize at people, but it's natural to me to do. So I don't have to force it. I have to do the opposite, which is control it. Now, the flip side of this is once you're in my world, that intensity, I'm, dude, I, I'm a screw up. We have a ton of fun. 
Like we're all very connected spiritually, spirituality. And, and just recently, last four months, like Jesus Christ, I don't even know what happened, but I can tell you, I just know that my whole last 10 years, I've been referencing the voice and the voice very clearly has informed me over the past four months that the voice I've heard this whole time was Jesus Christ. And so here I am having this public stand for Christ in my life now, which you would have never heard this from me a year ago. Never, never would have heard me say this. And yet here I am going, okay, I'm a king in Christ and I'm witnessing for Christ. And this is true. And I'm watching what's happening to my family and I'm watching what's happening in my life. And the only verses that come to my mind is I'm going down to the beach to surf this morning. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I'm like, man, we are being tested all the time as men. And what a challenging place for most men to live in a society we live in today. It's filled with chaos. It's stressful as hell. We're surrounded by liars and bullshit. And we've been told that you cannot demonstrate the two things I demonstrated this morning, this man. That there were people say my violence was uncalled for. Yet my wife who's watching is saying, will this king defend me in this castle? And most men are fucking pussies and wouldn't do anything. They call and wait for the police to show up. Right? Like you're, what you're message right. are you sending to your family? You're right. That you cannot be trusted as a weapon to defend your own family. On the flip side, if all you are is a weapon, but you have no heart and connection, it doesn't matter. So connected weapons are what we build. Men weaponized physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, out of scarcity, but connected to God. And we've always been doing that. It's just been recently, the last four months that I realized that who we were connected to is Christ. Garrett, you've got a lot to be uh, proud of. Your beautiful soul. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. This was uh, this is going to be one of those episodes that are going to be shared throughout 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 the the universe. It was incredible. Uh, I hope I hope it was good for you. I really Dude, it enjoyed it. This was actually re- this was a more this this was the first time I've come and done an interview since a lot of the big shifts I've had in the last four months. So thank you. I appreciate you having me, uh, Rob. Let me be part of this with you. Thanks, brother. I'm going to, if you can have somebody from your team reach out, um, I'd love to opt into uh, to all of your stuff so that when this gets released, I could um, share my uh, my progress on the journey. Beautiful. Would love that, man. We'll get you a couple of wake up for a challenge and would love that. All right, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks again. Right. Okay. Have a great one. Bye. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.